making sense of money, the gospel and finances. This is the last part of the three-part series that we have been going through the last few weeks. Let me begin by saying this, church. We've covered a lot of ground, and I've rattled off a lot of axioms. A few of them might be like this. The Bible teaches us to gain, grow, and give our financial resources. Another one has been work is God's gift that teaches us the relationship between responsibility and reward. And yet another one from last week is this. If we don't teach our youth the importance of investing in the church today, we jeopardize tomorrow. I think all of these are true. I stand by them, and I believe in their importance. Now this morning, before we go, we go any further, I want to take a quick detour and begin with you this morning with some scriptural priorities. Church, I want to recalibrate our mentality. Begin with some reminders this morning of what God's Word says to us, because God's Word is the compass by which we get our life's direction. We read, and God reveals. We study, but it's God's inspired text. So every step of the direction that we feel compelled by God to take, we ought to take, because He knows how to manage and to guide our lives better than we do. Amen? So let me share with you five texts for Proverbs, one from the New Testament, that have to do with the topic we have been wrestling with over the past few weeks. I think they're going to come up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool, presumably, and has money. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than a fool who is crooked in speech, or excuse me, uh, one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together because the Lord is the maker of them all. See, we're just getting reset here, reminding ourselves of, of what really matters before we begin. 1 Timothy 6, 14. We brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. Proverbs 17, verse 5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And Proverbs 28, verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now, having read these texts, let me ask you this question. How can this be possible if we don't prioritize the spiritual over the material? How can we make sense of money if we don't prioritize the spiritual over the material? How can this be a possibility for us if our focus is on what's passing rather than on what's eternal? When we lose focus of biblical priorities... When we forget the lessons that are contained in the verses that we just read together, our finances are always going to suffer. 
and in fact are usually one of the first measuring units to tell us whether or not we're walking in the will of God. We can't lose focus of biblical priorities. But when we do, often the first measuring unit that tells us we're out of alignment with God's will is our money. That's where I'd like us to start today. When it comes to our finances, we should, first of all, prioritize the spiritual over the material. Looking at Luke chapter 21 again, we're prioritizing the spiritual over the what? Over the material. Looking at Luke chapter 21, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. We see this historical scenario in which Jesus teaches his disciples a singular lesson for all of us, namely that the amount that we give to God isn't nearly as important as the motivation with which we give it. Let me say that again. The amount that we give to God isn't nearly as important as the motivation with which we give it. Within the context of this historical scenario, Luke records that Jesus is watching the rich and this poor widow give to the offering box And he speaks to his disciples and says to them, Truly I tell you, that poor woman has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to give. A couple of things I think that you and I can glean from this text. The first of which is this. Giving is convictional. Giving is convictional. In this object lesson, there are the rich and there is this poor widow. Out of these two, one is fulfilling a convenient obligation, leading to a more self-righteous outcome, a more arrogant outcome than anything, and the other is full of conviction. Let me tell you something about conviction that you might already know. Conviction doesn't care about convenience. Let me say that again. Conviction doesn't care about convenience. Whether or not it's easy, whether or not it's sensible, whether or not it's the popular thing at the time, conviction demands action because conviction is tied to truth and righteousness and godliness. Let me say this again, church. Conviction doesn't care about convenience. This leads to the second thing that I'd like to note from this text in Luke 21. Conviction, but second of all, I want you to note, giving is convictional, but also sacrificial. If a conviction, like giving, commands action, even when it's inconvenient to give, then it only serves to realize that giving isn't only convictional, but it's also, help me out, sacrificial. You see, Jesus is trying to get us out of the mode of thinking that says, when I'm set, when everything is right, I'll give to God. Church, say amen if you're listening. Nothing is ever that right. You ain't never going to be that set. 
First, giving is convictional, and that leads to it being sacrificial. We should feel it. It should make us think. It might even be a crisis of faith when we put money in the box or give online. If what we give to God isn't thought of, if it isn't considered, or if it isn't even missed, then are we really giving to God? I think that's what Jesus is saying here with these words in Luke chapter 21. They give out of their abundance. In other words, they don't even see it going out. Giving should cost us something. So to become a better giver, your giving must be, one, convictional, and two, sacrificial. Another reason I think that Jesus makes a note about this event, and Luke records it, is because there are a lot of us who aren't giving because we aren't giving $500 or $1,000 or you name the, the number. I'm here to tell you, according to this biblical text, that you aren't living in obedience, Remember, Jesus praises the widow who gave only a little over the rich who gave a lot because it is the heart of the matter that is important when it comes to giving. Is it convictional and is it sacrificial? Jesus says nothing about an amount. If your finances aren't where they should be, If you look at your bank account and you go, holy Jesus, if you run your debit card through the machine at Publix and you go, debit Jesus, debit Jesus, debit Jesus, please come now to this transaction. If you're looking at other ways to make more money because you don't have enough money, let's work on getting those things right, amen? But in the meantime, don't put off giving to God. Just start. Somehow, some way, realize in your mind that giving is not about convenience. It's about conviction. The $5 that you give, the $50 that you give, is far better than the $500 you intend to, but don't. We say that again. The $5 that you give or the $50 that you give is far better than the $500 you intend to, but don't. Your intentions equate nothing. The Bible is about faith in action. Now, if you aren't in a place in your life financially that you can give a large amount of money, what you would consider a large amount of money, what someone else might consider a large amount of money, be encouraged by this text, but also be convicted by this text because it's not about the amount of money that you give. It's about the motivation with which you give it. So if it's $5, if it's $50, if it's $500, whatever you give, that's between you and God. I don't know what you give. I never look at the books. I don't ask about money. That is completely outside of the purview of my office. But I do know this much. God wants you to be a convictional giver. 
And God wants you to be a sacrificial giver. Giving is a convictional and sacrificial thing. Just start. Just start. You might not be able to give what you wish you could, but get your finances in order and start giving to the God who gave you all. All of it. And let me remind you, when it comes to getting things in order and when it comes to deciding how you're going to live your life, convictionally and sacrificially, let me tell you this, no one has ever drifted to their destination of choice. No one has ever drifted to their destination of choice. You've got to be determined and you've got to have discipline. Resolve and start today. This will require some discipline and determination from you. But like most things in Christianity, as you give, a blessing will follow you. Paul once wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, the God who is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, as you give and you work, God is all-sufficient, and he provides and he supplies. You cannot outgive the God who gave his one and only son. The reason you don't give is because your faith is small and you rely more on your money than you do the God who is all-sufficient. Remember what Jesus said last week. You cannot serve God and money. Let's turn a corner now and leave our first point, which is prioritize the spiritual over the material. And let's talk about our second point this morning, which is let's put our priorities into practice. We're going to prioritize the spiritual over the material. Okay, now we've made up our mind to do that. We've gotten some information from Luke chapter 21 that encourages us to put away the good intentions and to start putting feet to our faith, regardless of how large our steps might be. How do we prioritize that now? How do we put our priorities into practice? Well, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Once you prioritize the spiritual over the material, once you realize that, in fact, giving is convictional and sacrificial, once you decide that instead of just spending money aimlessly, you're determined to give to God, you have to put your priorities into practice. Let's talk about budget for a minute. In your budget, here's a question. Where does your spiritual life fit? If we were to sit down and do the math, if we were to look over a week or two weeks or a month of your expenses, what would your spending say about your spiritual priority? Remember what I said earlier this morning, when we're outside of the will of God, one of the first things that fails is our financial discipline. God has given to us work and giving to teach us the relationship between responsibilities and reward. And giving is part of what it means to be part of a community, a dedicated member of a covenant community. 
who has said, along with a lot of other people who are part of that covenant community, that as I reap the reward of these spiritual benefits, I will sow monetarily. Because the blessing that I'm receiving on the Lord's Day and on Wednesdays and by way of counseling and by way of fellowship and by way of participating with another group that is sending missionaries out and financing missionaries and etc., all of those things are far more important than this monetary gift that I'm giving to continue motivating the purpose. Let's take a moment and think. Where does the majority of your income go? Consider Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. Proverbs 24, verse 27 says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Let me read that again. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Now, let me put this into the vernacular because it is really a verse that makes perfect sense to a horticultural people, but not people that get their milk from Publix. What he's saying here is don't go build your house before you have your fields prepared. Start working your fields, get your cattle in order, then build the house. Because if you don't get your cattle in order and you don't get your fields prepared to start giving you a harvest, you're going to have a house that you can't afford, that you can't maintain, and that you can't justify. The principle of this verse is simple. Get your priorities and put them into practice. For those of you who are younger and might be looking at advancing your life now that you're not in your earlier teenage years, what this is saying is, is don't go look for a house. Look for a job. Get a job. Secure your employment. Work hard. Take extra hours. Pursue advancement. And then get your apartment. Get your condo. The 4-3 will come if that's God's will for your life, but you don't need a 4-3 to get out of your mother's house. You just need a 1-1. But you can't get a 1-1. You can't get a half-half without a job. Right? Get your fields ready. Then build your house. When it comes to financial priorities, this is something we must put into practice. You have no such thing as a financial priority without a job. So the first thing is first, get a job. But there's a few other steps that I want to share with you for those of us who are a little farther down the line. Amen? So, not you, buddy. You haven't even started yet. <laughs> but I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> there's a few things that I want to share with you so look, you can write these down. Here's what I'm suggesting you do so that you can get your priorities into practice. Number one, handle your debt. Number one, handle your debt. Pay what you owe as aggressively as is possible without jeopardizing your health. 
You don't need Starbucks. You don't need fast food. You don't do whatever it is you need to do. Make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Sell one car. Cut the cable. Downgrade the satellite. Do whatever you need to do to get out of debt. The Lord has come to give you freedom. And you say, but that's spiritual. Well, yes, but that's everything. What sort of spiritual freedom do you have if there is an anchor of debt around your, around your ankle? You really don't have freedom. How can you provide for others when you're having difficulty providing for yourself? That's a biblical principle. That's a Christian principle. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, let him who stole steal no more, but work honestly with his hands so that he can not only provide for himself, but for those who have need. You see that? There's no neutral ground in Christianity. Don't do wrong. Do what's right. Help other people. We don't have the option of managing debt, being in a little bit of debt, having a lot of debt, and being a faithful Christian. If you choose to be a Christian with priorities that are biblical, you've got to kill your debt. You've got to aggressively get rid of your debt. Get rid of your cards, stop spending aimlessly, start recording every dollar you spend so that you can make sense of where your money is coming from and where it is going because if you do not take control of your money, your money will take control of you. You've got to be discerning about things like this. Why? Because it adds up, church. It adds up. There's a little diagram that's going to come up here. Let's argue for the sake of argument that we have $6,000 on a credit card, okay? That's not wild. I just picked this number out of a hat. Uh, let's just say that we only have $6,000 on a credit card, okay? If we've got $6,000 on a credit card and we make a $200 minimum payment, every month at 15% interest, it'll be 38 months or over three years until it'll be paid off, but with 1,600 additional dollars being paid in interest. 1,600 additional dollars. Same scenario, $6,000 on a credit card, $200 minimum payment every month at 21% interest, which is more like it, by the way. If you find a 15% interest credit card, that's not bad. I'm not telling you to go get it. But that's a lot better than 21. Look at, look at the difference 6% makes. It would take 43 months until it's paid off, but you end up paying $2,600 instead of $1,600 in interest over the time of that debt. That's just $6,000, guys. And think about it. That's only, say only, that's only if you don't spend anything else. You never put anything else on the card, and you never miss a payment. You're paying it. You're paying it. You're paying it. And nothing else happens in your life. But let's be honest, okay? Who is in a scenario like that, right? If you wake up on Monday morning, you're probably not in a scenario like that. The only people in a scenario like this are people who are in a coma. The rest of us are living life, amen? We've got things, unexpected things that come our way. We've got challenges, difficulties that come our way, and they surprise us. 
But the reason they become as challenging as they are is because we didn't make the decisions that we should have back then, and that's why we are where we are now with whatever it is that we might have on a credit card, paying minimum payments, justifying the weight of debt that we have become accustomed to carrying in our life. We're making these large companies rich by not managing our money, by using their services, and by slowly, instead of aggressively, paying off our bills. Some of you need to get angry with yourself and angry with the companies that have set you up for financial failure. You have believed the lie that this is normal. You have believed the lie that this is healthy. You have believed the lie that this is what everybody else is doing. No, this is not what everybody's doing. This is not what God is calling you to do. Listen to the word of God, Proverbs chapter six. It's gonna come up on the screen. My son or my daughter, this is a man speaking to a young man, so it doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught, in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. Because you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the fowler. You know what that means? Run from these promises that you're making. Run. Don't close your eyes. Don't give your eyes sleep. Work hard toward getting out of any sort of debt you have as fast as you possibly can. And once you do, aggressively paying it off, The interesting thing is your credit score will probably be incredible. Why? Listen to me here. Because our financial institutions are merely about putting as much debt on you as they possibly can. They exist to make money off of you. So don't let them have your emotions. Be a stone-cold, emotionless credit debt killer. And when you get it done, you're going to have an amazing credit score. But let me tell you what a FICO score is. Listen to this. There are four things that basically give you your FICO score. Okay? Four things. How many? How much debt you have, the types of debt you have, how well you've paid the debt, and the length of time it's taken you to pay the debt. What's the operative word in those four things? Debt! The FICO score isn't a barometer for how well you're doing with your finances in God's eyes or my eyes or your eyes or your parents' eyes or your spouse's eyes. Your FICO score is about how well you manage your life with debt. 
So somebody might say, I have a, I have a, a 750 credit score. That's incredible. That's wonderful. Isn't 800 like the best? What is it? 850, okay, 850. So just still, if you have a 700 credit score, it's amazing. You can basically do anything you want with a 700, 712. But listen, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. There are a lot of people who have credit scores that are amazing, but if the machine in which we live ever stopped they would be bankrupt by this time next week. They really don't have money. They just manage their debt. That's not freedom. That's not liberty. And it's not healthy. Don't live for the score, church. Live to be financially free as a person, as a couple, as a family who is liable to no one or as few people as is possible. Cut up the cards, get rid of the debt, put your priorities into practice. What this might mean is you might need to sell that second car. You might need to bite the bullet and cancel the satellite. You don't need to watch Hallmark. You will live. Get rid of cable, get rid of satellite, get some apps, if you need them, pay $10 a month so that you can watch something every now and then, but it is not worth $200 or 200 whatever it is every month to watch what these companies are charging you. Save the money, put it toward the credit card, get the credit card paid off. You don't need the second car, sell the car. Go through your house, get on the marketplace, start selling stuff. You should be going so crazy and so aggressively at this, people should be going, are you moving or something? You're like, no, man. I'm gonna live the life of a minimalist because I don't want anything to have lordship over me except Jesus Christ. Is it wrong to have a second car? Of course not. If you can't pay for the second car, though, that's a problem. Is it wrong to have things in your house? Of course not. Is it wrong to have a cable subscription with Comcast or whoever? Of course not. But can you afford it? Not manage the debt. Can you afford it? That's the question. And the reason this is such a major issue is because you need to not only have freedom, but you need to go even a step further. This is step two. You need to provide for yourself about $1,000 in your savings account. That is putting your priorities into practice. You need to save about $1,000 because if you're gonna live a life of financial wisdom, if you're gonna be wise enough to save for a rainy day, this is the step you have to take because, I don't know if you know this, but your brake pads go bad. And I don't know if you know this, but cars are not supposed to go 10,000 miles without new oil. And I don't know if you know this, but every now and then your school that your kids attend, they're going to ask you for what they call an improvement fee. That's $200 you weren't expecting to pay. Things like this happen on a regular basis, guys. Don't get caught off guard. 
If you aren't financially prepared, then not only are you going to add to your debt, but you're going to set the timeline of your freedom behind. Pay off the debts aggressively. Get the credit cards out of play and put some money in the bank. Put some money in the bank so that if something happens, you can manage those things. Now, I'm going to say this because I mentioned it a couple times with uh, a few guys. I think maybe Chris Wellens, Mike Hart, and... um, Few others, but one of the things I would like to see us do is I would like us to see I would like us to be able to provide. We have a bunch of guys here who are mechanically inclined and know how to work on cars. I would like to see days every so often, twice a year, once a quarter, whatever it is that we can manage. We have a few guys here on the campus, and our single women or our single moms or our families that have the wherewithal but don't have the time to get it done can come here and we can do the simple things to their automobiles that need to be done. There's no reason why a woman in our church who is not married and is maybe a single mom should have to go down here to Jiffy Lube and spend $65 on an oil change to be told that their belt is bad and they need an air filter, which is $10, but they're going to charge them $35, etc., 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 There's no reason why we, as the men of this church who have the wherewithal and the knowledge to do simple tasks on a car like that, can't do it here and help the people in our church get financially free. You can go get the oil filter and the oil, for example, from Walmart for $30, synthetic. If you were to do the same thing down the street, they would charge you $65 and then throw a hundred other things at you. And by the way, I don't know if any of you work for places like this. I don't mean this in an ugly way. You cannot trust these places. You cannot trust these places. They live to make money off of your car. So if you bring your car in and they do a 20-point inspection, there's going to be 18 issues, Okay? Now, there might be 18 legitimate issues with your car. I've seen some of you. I know. I, I've seen the smoke come out of the muffler. Your gaskets need to be changed. You have an intoil, internal oil leak, okay? The white smoke is not good, all right? But there are too many men. Fellas, am I right? There are too many guys who are willing to set aside three or four hours on a Saturday to meet here. You bring the stuff. We take care of the car. We know how to do it. There's no reason why you should have to go spend $400 on a brake job that costs $50 for the pads. We can do things like that. We want you to be free. And we want to serve you. But the truth of the matter is, is it takes time on our part. It takes planning on your part. And then it takes the conviction to not spend the money you saved on shoes. Okay? I don't care how many coupons you get from DSW. You don't necessarily need another pair of shoes. And just because they say, while supplies last, doesn't mean you have to rush over there and get another pair of flats. Or another pair of trainers or whatever. Right? You have to be disciplined enough to pay off the cards, get money, put it in the bank. God forbid something happens. And we will help however we can. So that when episodes like this happen, you've got your money put away. Instead of taking the $1,000 and having two small jobs done at Goodyear and wiping out your savings... 
You spend half of that, and the men of the church do it here. There's no reason why we can't do that together. Thirdly, remember, if you, if, if, no one drifts toward their destination, right? We're talking about discipline and determination. We're resolving to get some of this stuff done. The third thing I want you to note is this. We've got to focus on the future. We've got to focus on the future, church. You only have today. There is no tomorrow. Don't live like tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, next month, at this time, next year. You don't have that. Every day you wake up, you gotta say, I'm gonna be tenacious about today. I'm gonna kill today. And when you go to sleep, thank you, God, for the energy to get me through today. When you wake up, you go, watch out. I'm coming after you today. Jesus said, tomorrow has enough anxiety for itself, sufficient for today are its concerns. Think about today only. Don't worry about tomorrow, and don't put off to tomorrow what you can get done today. Do not put it off. That's why we are in the situation we are in, because we kept saying tomorrow, and we open another card that says, no interest for a year. You're like, no interest for a year? That's like free money. And before you know it, it goes from no interest to 21%. Three years later, you're in the situation that we were just talking about. Now, I'm not, you know, you, some of you know people like Randy Alcorn or Dave Ramsey. They are fanatical about it. I'm not going to tell you not to have a credit card. You're doing a project at your house. You go up on a Home Depot card, no interest for a year, no payments for the first three months or something like that. Fine. But you have to be disciplined and determined because you don't drift toward a destination. You understand? You want new appliances for your house? Go put new appliances. I don't care what you do with your kitchen. I do care if you put floors in your house, you get a new lease, you put new appliances in your kitchen, and then you go, oh, Pastor Joe, I just can't give right now. You're a thief. And you're stealing from God. And as often as you come here and you reap the benefits of the hours of work that this church and I put into your soul, you're stealing from God. You never hear me say anything about 10% of anything, do you? Your giving is between you and God, but it better be convictional and it better be sacrificial. Don't tell me that you need financial help and I've got to convene the deacons and pull from the benevolent fund while you're living as if you've got four incomes, but really you just have six credit cards maxed out. That's not the same thing. You've got to live with some financial responsibility because if you don't do it today, you won't have tomorrow. Our church won't have a tomorrow. Your kids won't have college. The truth of the matter is the decisions we make today will affect tomorrow, but we don't need to worry about tomorrow. We need to live as if there will be no tomorrow and do it voraciously today. But church, you must give. Being a part of a covenant community means that you align with its creed and its confession. And that means that we are in agreement about the main tenets of the faith. You cannot be a member of this church if you do not get baptized by immersion. We believe that to be a biblical tenet. Now, my friend Aldo next door at Pinelands, he's preaching the gospel. We're friends. They are doing great work over there at that church. They're growing, they're healthy. 
but we don't sprinkle kids. We believe in a different mode of baptism, but we believe in the same Jesus. So when we die, we're going to meet in the same glory because they do not put salvation into the baptism, just like we don't put salvation into the baptism. Why am I pointing this? Behind the black thing, (laughs) there is a baptismal. When I have a new members class, which is going to be coming up here soon, when I do a new members class, a prerequisite to membership in our church is baptism. If you take the class but you're not baptized, you say, I'm signing up for a membership pending my baptism. So you can sign up, and we dunk you, it's official. But there are no members of our church who have not been baptized by immersion. We believe that to be a biblical principle. It's taught in the scriptures, therefore we hold to it. As a covenant community, we come together as that. But another thing that I teach when I teach the new members class is, if you're going to be a part of this church, if you're going to be a member of this church, if you're going to be a covenant member of this community, you have to be a giver. Part of being a member of this church means that you just don't come and reap You also come and you sow. You put in and you get out. I'm not telling you what to give. All I'm telling you is it is not biblical not to.